Hello and welcome to the Digital Insight, the technology and supply chain podcast that delivers valuable C-level perspective into the core issues surrounding business transformation and digital disruption. Each episode will bring you the most inspiring executive insights from those leading transformation strategies within the world's biggest and best known companies. The Digital Insight, disrupt, transform, evolve. Welcome to the Digital Insight the official podcast series for CPO Strategy and Interface Magazines. Today, I'm joined by Jay Weitraub, founder and CEO of InsureTech Connect. In this episode, we explore the digital transformation of insurance, while we also take a look at InsureTech Connect and how it's the largest, most focused and relevant gathering of insurance industry executives, entrepreneurs and investors in the world. Jay, welcome to the Digital Insight. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Great. So just as a, as a way of kicking things off then, and so I can learn a little bit more about yourself, uh, can you give me a bit of an overview then um, in terms of your career, uh, you know, and obviously your experience and your sort of journey to how you find yourself you know, in your position today? Oh, with pleasure. So I, there's been two parts of my career. The first part of it, I was an internet advertising person. Now, when I say internet advertising, it clearly dates myself because that's when people actually talked about it in terms of the internet. I could do some amazing uh, sort of tying in of how my internet advertising days led me to be a pioneer in insure tech, but that would be just complete rubbish. So instead, what I'll say is that I developed a domain expertise and a passion for connecting people. That passion for connecting people uh, led me to my second part of my career, which was in 2008, I launched an event series for a subset of the internet advertising space. And it was there that I got exposed to the world of insurance and for probably the last four years, I had been a, a, a convener in search of an insurance idea. And luckily, towards the end of 2015, I met Caribou Honig, who was a fintech VC in search of an insurtech conference. And that meeting could have either gone really poorly or really well. And I'm happy to say that it went really, really well. Perfect. So obviously, then looking over your career, if you could, how is the kind of over the last, let's just say over the last 10 years, how has the conversation changed? Because obviously technology has become more advanced and if we were to speak 10 years ago, we'd have very different ideas of what you know marketing is as to what it is today. So if you could, in a way, sum up how the conversation has changed you know, throughout your career as you've seen it. Yeah, I might actually point, I might actually, I wouldn't say disagree. That's just not exactly true. I would say it's amazing how much the conversation has remained you know, sort of the same. And it's, you know, the channels are different. The, you know, when we think about customer acquisition, there are certainly going to be, you know, broad shifts in how companies acquire customers as the access to channels. I mean, to your point, you know, influencer marketing didn't exist a certain amount of go and, uh, you know, sort of 10 years ago. And yet even today, you know, you see on the fringe, I would say some enormous brands that have been launched and having success through sort of influencer marketing, but it's not, you know, sort of uh, sufficient. So I think there's a, we have to remember the sort of the core of having a great product that appeals to people that wants to get shared and letting it, how it gets shared may change, but it's the core of having something worth telling that really hasn't changed. So tell me a little bit more then about InsureTech Connect. Give me a bit of an overview as to what it is um, and as to, essentially what the vision and ambition is for InsureTech Connect. Absolutely. So, I mean, InsureTech Connect, we are the world's largest event that discusses the digital transformation happening in the world of insurance. 
And insurance is one of these remarkable worlds. It's trillions of dollars in annual premiums. It connects our lives. It enables us to do everything that we you know, sort of do at this moment. And yet it's something that is sort of invisible and behind the scenes. And you know, the world of insurance has seen in the last four years uh, you know, this just groundswell of activity by entrepreneurs who are you know, looking at this big world and saying, wait a second, why does it work the way that it does? There has to be a better way. And it is those entrepreneurs, it's the investors that fund them, and it's the incumbent, you know, sort of global incumbent insurance companies that all gather at InsureTech Connect. And our event is an annual event in Las Vegas. While it takes place in Las Vegas, it's a global in scope. Uh, and this year's event, which is our fourth, will see upwards of 7,000 people in attendance. Fantastic. And obviously then, so it's, you know, with insurance, and I've spoken to a number of people who work in the insurance space, you know, you, you said it yourself, it's about this kind of, this digital transformation that's happening. It's about addressing that conversation. One of the key things that I've sort of to discover over the last year or so is in speaking to different people in different insurance organizations is that actually there's no one single definition as to what digital transformation and what digital means to them. Is this something you've seen? And is this a bit of a challenge in terms of trying to understand exactly what digital transformation means to each and every you know individual in each and every organization? Oh, no, you're absolutely right. It's both a challenge, but it is also, I think, the opportunity. And it's what makes being an insured tech such a fun place to be. Because is it is it talking about product lines? Right? Is it saying, how do we use insurance in a new way? I'll give an example from the US. There's a company called Hugo, and it began in Los Angeles where there was a lot of a lot of cars on the road, but a lot of uninsured motorists. And what the entrepreneur realized is that people were uninsured because they couldn't afford the six-month premium that they'd have to pay at a time. So they would get insurance and then they would literally cancel the insurance. And even though there was a penalty, it was still cheaper. And so it was the, what they realized is that it's the, the nature of how it was billed is the problem, but insurance is highly regulated. So what they had to do is basically get permission and break insurance to have it billed separately. And what is, so when I think about insure tech, right, this is a product example that says, how do we take a classic product, break it into a way that is better and, and sort of necessary, but also helps consumers. You know, we think about the value chain. How do you help claims? If you've been in a motor accident, you know, how is it that you can now use your smartphone, take a photo, have image recognition, know exactly what kind of car, what kind of, uh, you know, sort of damage, have it send it to sort of like the body shops. You know, we think about the buzzwords. Insurance is for such a not always covered industry. If there is a buzzword, insurance has a use case for it, an AI, you know, whether it's drones or IoT. So, you know, it is digital transformation is going to depend on what product line you're in, what part of the value chain you're in, and sort of what, you know, technologies you think can actually help you serve your customers better. So it really means that there's an immense amount of, of parallel transformation taking place. And what do you think are, you know, as in recent years, as you know, we've become more technologically advanced and as industry, not just obviously insurance and industry around the world has become more digitally enabled, obviously we've become more uh, receptive to technology and, and embraced it a lot better. But what do you think remain 
as some of the key barriers to embracing innovation and embracing digital transformation, particularly from an insurance perspective? I would love for the answer to be technology is the barrier. If we think about in the early 2000s when e-commerce was becoming a thing and, and people knew that they wanted to buy online, but it didn't take, it still took 15 years before it became so mainstream. And that was really a technology issue. It was mobile phones didn't have, weren't computers. There wasn't connectivity. The cloud computing, you know, sort of didn't exist. So the ubiquity of what could be done uh, wasn't actually there. You know, we don't have those today. We have consumers that want things and we have technology that gets it to them. So it is really a fundamental culture change in a lot of cases. In insurance has been rightfully so more incremental in nature. It's an industry that is hundreds of years old and thinks in terms of hundreds of years versus you know any short-term trend. So the biggest challenge is how do you consistently prioritize you know, these changes when you're used to making smaller, you know, sort of smaller, safer bets? And, and you touched upon it a little bit there. Um, obviously, it's everything in insurance is obviously consumer-led. So it is about that end customer. It's about the insurance customer. How has, I guess this is quite a broad question, but how have, how have they changed in recent years? How has the consumer become more demanding? And, and how do you, you talked about prioritizing then, how do you stay on top of these demands so that, you know, or how would you advise to someone to stay on top of these demands so that, because it's obviously continuously, you know, people getting more power at their, in the palm of their hands and they're, you know, they're getting stuff quicker and more access. How do you stay on top of that so that, you know, you, you don't fall behind and, you know, lose out to competitors and to, you know, other companies? And I think you're right. It is a broad question. You know, we, we have a couple of assumptions. You know, we are assuming that over time, you know, if it can be sold online, it will be. We assume over time that you know everything will be sold, and that if it and that everything will ultimately be written, you know, sort of directly. The the you know kind of the challenge for any business is what is that time horizon? If this is personal lines, we're seeing it is effectively you know today. You know, personal lines is vastly consumed, uh, direct and digital. But commercial lines, you think about small commercial, it is, it will one day be far more direct than it is. It's why small commercial is such a hotbed of, of innovation. I think about a company like Bold Penguin here in the US that is trying to reduce the quote and bind time. And you know they are, instead of trying to be direct to consumer, they partner with major carriers to help them take you know, sort of their products and essentially add them to a digital shelf so that the consumers are able to engage with them more digitally. And I mean, these trends are, you know, sort of the, you, know, you think about the next generation of small business owner, it's going to be somebody that has grown up with a phone. And so when they look to purchase their insurance, they're going to, you know, want to start digitally versus, you know, maybe how the you know, their the previous generation turned to an individual. So I think when, when we're, you know, looking at sort of not just insure tech, but insurance, it's, I would say, you know, where is the pain point? Is the pain point we have and sell a product that is today going to be sold digitally no matter what? And if that's the case, I would start to think about how do they, you know, sort of find digital distribution 
uh, for this? Or is it something that is still always going to be sold through an individual, most likely with an advisor? And then it's how do you enable that advisor to do their job better? One of the trends that you know, we are seeing is companies that say, well, we're not going to rely. It's not that agents aren't necessary. In fact, they're super necessary. We just haven't invested in their success. So we like seeing now this idea of insurers going, wait a second, we need to make sure our agents want to pick us. And it's not just about commission rates. So I'll, you know, I, we've countless, uh, you know, sort of examples, but it, I would say, you know, it really depends on a company's vulnerability. And, you know, is that they're not having great claims? Is it something where they are at distribution disadvantage, but it's not digital transformation is not, we have to fix everything all at once. And you, you know, you touched upon something there, which uh, I, I, well, I'm going to pick apart a little bit. But um, you talked about obviously the need for an advisor, um, and you mentioned earlier about buzzwords. So you talked about AI, and something that again, speaking to a number of people that I'm hearing more and more is the uh, implementation of AI or a chatbot. You know, in taking away, not taking away, but in dealing with a customers changing the customer experience that they are interacting, for example, get with AI as opposed to an individual, and I was, I'm always curious to ask, as where we are right now, you know, we, we have a lot of, as you said yourself, there's a lot of people who have grown up in the era of mobile phones and having all that power to them. But then there's still obviously customers who are part of an older generation that will prefer that human element and actually might not want to speak to an AI or speak to a chatbot. So how hard do you think it is to kind of strike that balance? Because obviously these companies do want to move forward and they do want to embrace this next generation, but you can't obviously then just turn your back on the existing previous generations. And, and I would probably elaborate on that to say, I don't think it's a pure split. I think everybody wants to speak on the phone at a certain time. And I would say that there's an ever growing comfort with people who are happy to speak on the phone um, or not speak on the phone. We look at how Facebook Right, it went from being a kids only, students only, to almost getting a backlash for it became the playground of parents and sort of grandparents. And it shows the comfort of people engaging with a mobile phone as a device for consuming and inputting information. So when I think about chatbots and other forms of you know AI, conversational AI, it's really what can it help you solve quickly to make the experience better? Versus looking at it as just a, oh, the young kids, you know, they want to engage with their phone. No, everybody wants to engage with their phone. So we have to then say, what does it help us do better, faster, scalably? Is it something that, you know, what's the KPI that it is tied to? Is it tied to getting to, you know, if it's about first notice of loss, is it about data information? Is it about reducing time on hold? So I think we we have to look at these things for very specific uh you know, sort of performance enhancers, and then always have an escalation process knowing that if there's a certain level of complexity, if there's a certain level of frustration, if there's, you know, nuance, that there's a, you know, a, a trigger for people to always speak, you know, sort of to a, a human. So, and I think the, you know, companies, and, and I'm saying startups are very guilty of this, which is looking at what tech can do, and it becomes the box that everything fits into. It's like hammer in search of a nail. Let's make it a bot for everything, and we see is that's that ultimately leads to poor, you know, outcome. 
So I think it's really about less generation A versus B and situation A versus B. No, absolutely. And, and sort of following on from that, in, in some respects, how important is it, I guess the answer is obvious, but how important is it to involve the customer in that conversation? So when those decisions are being made, they're not just being made by somebody who in the business who you know has seen a few bits of information and says, this is what we have to do. Those are decisions made based on customer experience, customer expectation and demand. It is probably one of the hardest things. And I think it is a it is a it is an art more than a science because you can we think of some of the, the most famous devices uh, that we have used today. And you know whether it was the automobile, uh, you think about Steve Jobs and the phone, there's so many things that were you know kind of created that were more somebody understanding their impact and sort of having an intuitive sense of how they could better the world versus a classic, let's survey our customers. Because if you survey you know, the customers about what they want in an automobile, right, they're going to ask for something that is impossible to, you know, to build. So I think it's a, you know, a, a underappreciated uh, science of user experience. And what is it? How do you have empathy for what does it feel like? while mapping that empathy with, you know, sort of KPIs that you as a business hope to achieve. And a lot of times I think it's listening to data along the way that helps you understand. And we get back to the engagement, which is, you know, reducing hold times is a good thing. If you have sentiment analysis on your phones, you know, sort of making sure that the sentiment analysis, uh, you know, sort of improves over time. I think we can find these proxy data points for success. And similarly, I would say it's it's also a reason why, you know, it developing a a you know testing mentality. So how do we you think about what tech companies have done really well? It's I'm going to segment my audience, try something new that is not an enormous time and rollout, listen for data, and then continue to iterate and then improve upon the whole. So you're not taking everyone and trying something major. You don't get a lot of bets that way. And I think that is probably one of the key cultural differences between startups and, you know, and, the, and this, you know, quote unquote tech companies and more you know, sort of incumbent brands. Yeah, absolutely. So going back then to InsureTech, you know, the InsureTech Connect, the event, looking at obviously each year that you obviously do the event, what kind of are they sort of, how would you set out what key goals you want to achieve with each one and, to, and then how do you look to build on them you know into the next event and then into next year's event like how do you sort of determine obviously it's a you can only determine so much until the event actually happens but ahead of time how much do you you know plan to say right these are kind of some of the foundations for next year's event before that one's even happened if that makes sense no oh, it makes it makes perfect sense you know, the even today there was news about a major acquisition that that happen between Prudential and a three-year-old startup. And it's these news signals that you listen for and say, you know, well, obviously we're clearly going to have to have the senior executives from those two companies up on there to talk about why a, you know, the largest asset owner, uh, you know, sort of decided to buy a three-year-old startup for several billion dollars. You know, the, you know, it, it clearly speaks to sort of what their priorities are and what they, See, uh, for us, we think about you know, saying, what is our role? Our role is to convene. Our outcome, successful outcome, our conversations that happen, 
that may not have happened or happened sooner and led to better outcomes. I think about a company like a classic example for us, a startup called Hover. Fascinating. It's a, a you know, a lot of success in the claim space. It's a military technology that allowed people to take photos of their homes and it can reconstruct the actual pre-loss state uh, surprisingly well. Uh, obvious, some limitations. If there's total loss, it doesn't work. But if there's a, you know, for the vast majority of loss, it means no adjuster has to come out. It means that the data is super accurate and it means that they can get their money, you know, sort of faster. So when we think about you know, the, the goal of insurance, both to enable people to live and take risks and to get people back to a pre-loss state faster, you know, our hope is to you know, always keep an eye on what you know, that is like the guiding light is, you know, how do we reduce the coverage gaps and, and say what is actually making a difference, who is actually making a difference, how do we make sure they get uh, enough time on stage, and more importantly, how do we enable the attendees you know, via technology to connect with each other so that that startup meets an investor they might not have, that startup might meet an insurer that they might, uh, you know, not have, and the insurer gets to meet, you know, sort of their their peers. These are the things that we would say are ultimately success. What's making a difference in the space? Who's making a difference? And how do we set them up to connect, uh, you know, better and more efficiently than they might otherwise? And this is looking a bit more broadly, but it's kind of linked in a sense that obviously this is about insurance, but I'm always curious to ask about when looking at technology, when looking at having these conversations about how these transformations can take place and how the industry is changing, how much do people and organizations look beyond their own industry and look at how certain other industries are applying and implementing technology and the the success stories in these other industries and then use these events or this event sorry, as an opportunity to say, well, look, you know, we know this is happening out there. How can we bring this into the insurance industry in, in a way that will better enable us to be able to do what we do? I, you know, I don't know if anyone's cracked, you know, sort of the code. I, I feel like some of the more successful companies, what, what they say is, what are the consumer, you know, sort of expectations? They might look at how do consumers want to engage with their companies? We'll go back to the mobile phone example. We know that Consumers want to be able to, you know, sort of chat or to email, and they start to say, "How could that type of engagement help us?" So that is, you know, the way that I think is better than looking at and go, "Oh, well, company X does this, and that seems really, really cool." Um, the, the the best of breeds look across other industries, but then say, "How does it actually help?" And they don't get caught up in sort of the, uh, you know, kind of the, the wow factor. Instead, they look more broad based at what do consumers expect, what do consumers demand, and how do we map that to the best of our ability here? And it's little things. It's consumers you think about today. We're used to being able to sign documents digitally. So why should they have to, have to be so much, you know, sort of paper? Why should there have to be so much, you know, sort of duplicate work? You think about an agent. You know, why should they have to resubmit a full application to an insurer for renewal? Well, if they're going to submit a full packet again, they might as well shop that customer around. So sometimes it's, uh, you know, I'd say less looking external at what does, you know, oh, what does this bank do? And more looking internal 
to say, gee, what is something that we do today because we have to and always thought we should, but actually is, you know, a, a breaking point of friction. So I, you know, that's what how I would describe it is they do a better job of looking internally at high points of friction. They look external to how others solve it effectively, and as opposed to the other way around of, I like what that bank does. We should do it as an insurer without asking, why should we do it? And one thing we've not really touched upon, and I think it, it happens quite a lot, actually, is when talking about technology, when talking about transformations, so we look at it as a, an organization rather than an individual, you know, and we've touched on it briefly about the advisors, but how important is it for these sort of events as well to that to kind of refocus the conversation when talking about how technology can do this and technology can do that? It's also an opportunity for the individual to to learn themselves to become more capable and you know kind of and educate themselves so that as the tech around them and the process around them changes they have the right skill set they have the right capabilities to continue to be able to deliver and that's one of those where i think it's like yes uh, the short answer is yes hard you know retraining reskilling uh, you know education these things are very difficult because they're oftentimes hard to measure they're hard to see the you know, sort of direct ROI. So it's a, you know, sort of a commitment at the highest levels to say we will support and make, you know, our lives of our, you know, producers better. I tend to once again, go back to what is a, you know, business KPI that you can attach anything that sounds good to as that will help be a little bit more of a guiding, you know, sort of force. So it's a, if it's about your producers and getting them more tech savvy, it's, you know, why well, want to see more submissions come in this way, or I want to see, you know, time to, you know, sort of quote to bind reduced and it will be reduced if it's done in this way. And therefore we're going to educate them on these things, or we're going to build tools for them to help them. I want to see renewal rates go up. So we're going to use and invest in big data to help arm them to have better conversations. Some of the things like we know education is important. We know building tools is important, but without tying it to specific business outcomes and breaking it down into things that are very achievable, it will oftentimes turn into one of these, look how much we've invested in, what have we gotten out of it? So I'm always a fan of trying to make things that feel good, that we know are helpful, but make them as actionable as possible. And, and that, to me, I think about the advisors as a great example, which is we know producers matter. We know we need better tools for them. We know we need them to be more comfortable with these tools, but just making a tool because it sounds good, like let's make our portal better. Let's send them information and make them get on a webinar is just going to fail miserably without once again saying, what are we really trying to help them do? And how do they spend their days and how do we make their days more productive? And there's, and there's one thing I'm always interested in. And we talked a little bit earlier about um, there's no sort of clear divide between, you know, generation A and generation B. But I'm always interested to talk about um, and to you know, pick your brain about um, in terms of the workforce again. So in terms of that kind of education, in terms of, you know, developing and learning, looking at the workforces of the future, what work and what stuff can people be doing now and organizations be doing now and also as an industry? to open the door to this next generation of you know skilled workers that'll be able to 
continue and continue to innovate and continue to operate in these new and exciting times. And what you've touched upon, I think, is something that there is, it's one of those great questions that has horrible answers because the businesses operate, you know, sort of at scale. The best businesses are all about scale. It's about repeatable process and it's about having the data and then acting. What we're talking about now is no one knows the data. We wouldn't have guessed that having somebody five years ago who was really good with a mobile phone, understood what Instagram was, could be a person that is immensely valuable to the largest organizations. And yet today, you think about some of these competencies that people are saying, oh, we want you to know how to use social because having our 10,000 employees engaged in social is actually one of the best ways for us to get seen and to get noticed. But a lot of these skill sets that we have are you know, not obvious until they're obvious. So I would probably say that the best thing is you know, look at the younger generation, look at how they engage, you know, study them as consumers first, as this is how they consume, and then look to, you know, understand what does that mean if everybody in five years or 10 years, you know, sort of acts this way. I, I think that would help us a little bit if we, when the iPhone came out, if when Facebook, you know, sort of came out, you know, as these things tip to popularity, but not, uh, uh, you know, sort of ubiquity, we start to say, okay, if everybody's using this thing in this way, and I think the same is true with autonomous vehicles, we're seeing, you know, like with Tesla and their autopilot, we're seeing what's possible, but we have to have a, the hardest part is we can oftentimes see where the future is heading, but we don't know how long it's going to take. So there's a, a real discipline that says, how do we separate out some of this new skill sets, new future activities? How do we stay on top of it? But, um, you know, sort of without trying to either shift the entire organization like that or treat it as something that is not that important today. And, and this is a bit of an extension on, on that question. Uh, obviously, the key point there is, yeah, we as much as we'd love to, we can't quite predict exactly what the future is going to hold. Obviously, a lot of, if you could give one piece of advice, and I know this is a very broad question, but if you were to give one piece of advice to somebody based on your experience, you know, obviously of the conversations you've had and the, the sort of experience you've, you've also got, if, if, how would you say to somebody the key to remaining successful in this time of, you know, obviously it's great opportunity with technology, but it's also a great challenge. What would you say in terms of, yeah, if this is one tip you'd give to try and remain successful. No, I would say uh, come to our event. No, that's that's uh, terribly, uh, absolutely too easy to have an answer. Uh, still slightly true. But I, I tend to say never underestimate the value of relationships. It is because it's the people or ultimately the ones that are creating the next thing. And the closer you are to the creators, the closer you are to the ecosystem itself. I think it is also... Uh, calm. It's it's sort of you have to be calm and stop listening to the noise as much. We think about the the companies that have dramatically changed our life. Uh, I think about some of the big tech companies: it's Google, Amazon, Facebook, Apple. There there are thousands upon thousands of startups that are doing interesting things, but the number of them that are going to you know 
ultimately change the way we do business, such as, you know, whether like a technology like the internet, that means we have to go online or a phone that means we have to understand how to do mobile. You know, those are, are slightly slow in their, in their growth in a way before they fully change us. So it's be a little bit patient and, you know, learn about ecosystems and make sure that you have at least someone or someone, you know, sort of on the, on the teams that is, you know, comfortable with these new platforms so that when one of them becomes dominant, like Facebook or Apple, and it becomes apps, that there's at least some embedded knowledge about, you know, how these things work. And most of it is going to be, you know, some sort of ecosystem based uh, impact on our distribution and how we work. So that's probably my advice is uh, listen, but don't overreact. Be patient. Uh, there's usually always time, even though it doesn't feel like it uh, in the get-go. And, and my final, final question, uh, which you'll, I think you'll enjoy, is <laughs> where, can, where can people find out about InsureConnect? Uh, that's true. And it's, uh, I appreciate that softball for me. So it, it's in insuretechconnect.com. And uh, there's a little bit of an inside joke when I say you can spell it with the E or without the E if you spell InsureTech. But it's insuretechconnect.com. Dot com. And obviously, I think, I guess it's a bit, I don't know if people can still attend, probably a little bit late in the day, but where can people find out post-event, uh, you know, it, will there be sort of key messages that come out of it? Where could people access that sort of information? Is that also going to be on the website? Yes, I think uh, it would be very poor of me, given my digital marketing background, if we didn't try to do a fairly decent job of making, giving people opportunities to join, you know, sort of our, our email list and engage with us. Uh, Despite my, you know, sort of our tech savvy nature, we are not, you know, you won't be finding us on Instagram. You know, it's a, we are a business community. And so you will find uh, videos available uh, of key highlights after the fact and an ability to sort of uh, sign up, receive in, you know, information. And of course, we entice people with a little bit of a discount uh, as well. No, fantastic. Um, Jay, thank you for your time today. It is my absolute pleasure. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Digital Insight Podcast in association with TheInterface.net and CPOStrategy.com. The Digital Insight is brought to you by B2E Media Limited. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. And don't forget to check out our podcast archive at www.b2e-media.com slash podcast.